This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Global News, town hall interrupted. Because the government ma'am, inaction ma'am. is why people are dying on okay. the street. Pro-Palestinian protesters confront a liberal MP in Vancouver. Are you going to let me finish or are you going to keep interrupting? Demanding the feds call for a ceasefire. Plus, looking way up for answers to the housing crisis. But we're not opposed to the idea. Why some say turning vacant offices into homes isn't such a pie-in-the-sky plan. Also tonight, a first responder with a flair for fine art. I'm always in a much better mood after I've had a day in the studio. The former firefighter finding peace and success one brushstroke at a time. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It almost happened again. Strong winds created another runaway barge in English Bay this afternoon. Oh, it's still moving. This was the scene along Sunset Beach over the noon hour. A barge had broken loose from its mooring in English Bay and was drifting toward the shore. Two Coast Guard vessels, including a Zodiac, worked for about 30 minutes to prevent it from grounding until a commercial tug arrived. That tug eventually towed the barge to another mooring buoy in Vancouver Harbour. It was a gravel barge, but was empty at the time. It was back in November of 2021 that another barge was blown ashore near Sunset Beach. It remained there for just over a year before being disassembled and removed. The cleanup continues from an overnight windstorm that left thousands of people on the south coast without power. BC Hydro says about 7,000 customers in communities between Courtney and Duncan on the island lost power. The majority of the outages were reported between 4 and 5 this morning and crews were able to restore power to most customers by 9 a.m. Smaller outages remained through the afternoon in Greater Victoria and Maple Ridge where trees came down across the wires. BC Hydro says they expect this season will be busier than normal. What makes this season a little bit more tricky is that we had such a long season of drought in cross British Columbia and that resulted in weakened vegetation and when you bring wind into the mix, trees and wind are a bad well, combination for power outages in BC. An early morning train derailment caused quite a mess in North Delta. This video from Global One shows multiple train cars tipped over along Highway 91 just south of 64th Avenue near the truck stop. BNSF confirms two locomotives and five train cars carrying freight derailed at 2.30 this morning. Emergency vehicles were on scene. No injuries have been reported. The track remains closed as crews work to clear the debris. The closure has resulted in the cancellation of today's Cascades passenger rail service between Seattle and Vancouver. And cleanup is underway in Abbotsford where a vehicle drove into a business overnight. The SUV went into a shopper's drug mart at the corner of Mayfair and McCallum Roads around 6 a.m. The driver was tracked down to a residence and has been issued a number of traffic tickets. The collision caused significant damage, including the rupture of a water line which flooded the parkade.
Witnesses on scene reported that they've observed one person fleeing the scene shortly after impact. We have since been able to track down the registered owner of said vehicle and have spoken to the driver regarding this incident. Police say impairment was not a factor, but speed and distracted driving may be to blame. A stretch of Highway 17 in Surrey remains closed to facilitate work on the Patello Bridge replacement project. The route closed early this morning between Tannery Road and Bridgeview Drive. It's expected to remain closed until 5 a.m. Monday. Track repair, excavation and drainage work is all being done. Detours are in place. Well, if you're a Liberal Member of Parliament in public in Vancouver these days, chances are you're going to draw a crowd of protesters. With the violence escalating in Gaza, pro-Palestinian activists have been targeting government members, including the Prime Minister. The latest was at a forum to discuss ways to address the overdose crisis. Angela Jung reports. The most important topic right now is the opioid crisis. But the spotlight doesn't stay on this issue for long. At this packed town hall Saturday night, hosted by the Liberal MP for Vancouver Granville, the topic of the toxic drug crisis gets hijacked. Why are you May I finish? May I finish? You this is the wrong forum. Some attendees, fed up, take matters into their own hands. Are you ushering me out? Yes. 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 But pro-Palestinian demonstrators continue to interrupt the event. Protesters storm into the venue, and after a while, people start to leave. It can be a, a high-risk strategy where you effectively bring people's attention to an issue, but, but do so in a way that alienates potential, potential allies. At the end of the event, MP Talib Nur Mohammed stays behind to speak to demonstrators. Would you be able to publicly um, call for a ceasefire? Nur Mohammed says it's important to have this dialogue. We also have to make sure that Canadians, that Muslims and Jews in this country are not paying the price of safety and security for what is happening there. On Friday, demonstrators rallied outside MP Hetty Fry's office, clashing with counter-protesters. How many more babies have to be murdered until you will call a ceasefire? On Tuesday, pro-Palestinian demonstrators charged into this Vancouver restaurant, where the Prime Minister was dining. He went to another restaurant, but was followed by 250 protesters. One man is now facing charges, accused of assaulting a police officer. There have been some conflicts, there have been some clashes, and there are police investigations. When Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie appeared at a UBC event earlier this month... How many children in Gaza have to die before you call for a ceasefire? Despite the demonstrators' unrelenting pressure, Canada may not have a big role to play. Realistically, Canada's influence is fairly limited here. Even so, political pundits and police... Ceasefire now! ...anticipate the demonstrations will continue. Angela Jung... Global News. Negotiators are reportedly close to a deal that would lead to a five-day pause in the fighting in Gaza and the freeing of dozens of women and children hostages. As Global's Mike Armstrong reports, while the deal is not finalized just yet, there is hope some of those held captive since October 7th could be released in the coming days. Even as hostilities continue on the ground... There are negotiations between the two sides in this conflict, though not face-to-face. -face. Talks between Hamas and Israel are taking place in Qatar through mediators. Qatari officials, the U.S., and at times, Egypt have been involved. 
According to the Qatari Prime Minister, a deal for the release of some hostages may be imminent. The sticking points, uh, honestly, uh, uh, at this stage are more uh, practical, logistical. The foundation of the tentative agreement that would at least temporarily stop the fighting seems to be settled. According to reports, it's a six-page document. Some of the finer details are still being ironed out. But the basics are that Hamas would release 50 hostages, women and children being held in Gaza. In return, both sides would pause fighting for five days and Israel would allow more humanitarian aid in. The Israeli ambassador to the U.S. Sunday morning on ABC said he's hopeful. I don't want to go into the details of uh, these talks. They are obviously very sensitive. The less uh, we go into the details, the better the chances of such a deal. But they are very serious efforts. The Israeli prime minister said as recently as Saturday that right now there is no deal and that his government won't buckle under international pressure calling for a ceasefire. But he is also under pressure from here at home. There have been several rallies this weekend pushing Benjamin Netanyahu to free the hostages. Bring them home now! Now, it appears the two sides have been close to a deal at a few points over the last month, but each time something got in the way. There are a lot of things to figure out, such as how the hostages would be handed over and the assurances Hamas fighters transporting them would be allowed to leave safely. Whatever happens, Benjamin Netanyahu says a pause would be temporary. As soon as it expired, Israeli troops would go right back to rooting out Hamas fighters. Mike Armstrong, Global News. Jerusalem. And after weeks of waiting, more people with ties to Canada have been approved to leave Gaza today. 135 additional Canadian passport holders and their families have been cleared to exit the region through the Rafah crossing. Global Affairs Canada says that prior to the latest names approved to leave, 376 Canadians and their relatives have been able to leave the Palestinian territory. Dawson Creek RCMP are investigating a suspicious death that occurred Thursday night. A 37-year-old man was found dead inside a home on 106th Avenue near 6th Street around 3 p.m. Police say the investigation is in its early stages. However, they confirm it was a homicide. The North District Major Crime Unit has taken over the investigation. Anyone with information is asked to call Dawson Creek RCMP. Well, it's being done in London and New York to help deal with the housing crisis. And some are saying it should be considered here in Vancouver. We're talking about converting downtown empty office space into apartments. As Cassidy Moscone reports, government says it is open to the idea. Empty office space in Greater Vancouver has hit a six-year high. That's according to market data by Colliers Canada. While city towers lie empty, the need for housing is higher than ever. Government has a real uh, interesting question as to what it wants to do. There is a huge housing shortage. Is vacant office space the answer to Vancouver's crippling housing crisis? In New York City, Wall Street became uh, obsolete and a lot of it turned into apartment loft spaces. Post-COVID, it's got some currency because lower quality office space 
may not be uh, in much demand for a long time, whereas there's so much demand for residential that people are, of course, looking at trying to invest and convert these buildings to residential use. We're not opposed to the idea of if any uh, commercial landowners that want to switch to housing and to find ways to support them. The Collier's data has Vancouver's office vacancy rate at 8.6%. In downtown Vancouver, it's nearly 12%, the highest it's been in 20 years. When you compare it to the rest of the country, Vancouver does have one of the best return to office rates, but our housing crisis is second to none. One of the biggest challenges the concept faces here is zoning rules. Under the current regulations, office towers cannot be converted into residential use in Vancouver's central business district. The City of Vancouver telling Global News in a statement the owner could submit a full rezoning application, but city staff would recommend council not support the application. An example of the idea in practice, downtown's Electra building, the 21-storey skyscraper once BC Hydro's headquarters, now mixed-use residential commercial lots. Preserving in a thriving office environment downtown has a lot of value. Uh, offices employ workers who pay a lot of tax, they don't consume a lot of public services. Residential's great, we have the shortage, so uh, residential or office are great probably on balance, let the market figure it out. A balancing act between keeping jobs downtown and housing. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. We've been hearing a lot recently about the push for densification to help deal with the big city housing crisis, but it's also now a reality in smaller communities. As Grace Key reports, Squamish is the latest district changing the rules to allow more multi-unit dwellings. It's always been a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, but living in Squamish has been out of reach for many. Now more affordable housing could be on its way after the district changed its zoning rules. We expect to never have a publicly funded affordable housing project need to go through rezoning again in, in Squamish. So when we look to our public, um, our funding agencies, we're here in Squamish, we're ready to do, we've not only are we ready to do the work, we have started to move, move the dial and we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing the, the investment follow it and realizing um, some new affordable housing units here in Squamish as soon as practical. The zoning bylaw change allows for projects that are six stories or less in any Squamish neighborhood. The district says removing red tape means affordable housing can be built faster and at a lower cost, resulting in more affordable rents. Residents believe more affordable housing is needed, but there are some concerns. Particularly the downtown uh, area of Squamish has a few infrastructure issues. Um, we only have one way air in or out of downtown. And so when you increase the population, that's only going to make things worse. It seems a bit overwhelming to us. Um, ten years ago I moved here and it was a sleepy little town. And now, I mean, I know that we need more housing, more affordable housing. Not sure what they're building, though, is any more affordable. As much as the need is, is really, really high in our community, it's very complex to, um, to secure the funding and actually realize affordable housing units. So as much as we're, we're really excited about this new policy, we see this happening in uh, a few pockets uh, across the community, not um, 
substantially changing a, a neighborhood with sort of swaths of affordable housing. The District of Squamish estimates 6,840 units need to be built by 2031 in order to meet the housing needs in the fast-growing community. 42% is needed for households earning below $70,000 a year. Grace Key, Global News. Still with Squamish, the district's mayor is dealing with a rather embarrassing situation. The headline of the local paper reported that an arrest warrant had been issued for Mayor Armand Herford over a civil court matter. Herford says he was in a council meeting and missed a small claims court hearing over money owed from a bike store he's winding down. He says it was never his intention to escape the law. No, that was not 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 the not the intent, and and uh, frankly, an oversight on on my part, and uh, and uh, in a public role, I suppose this is uh, this is part of what happens when something like that uh, occurs. Herford says he's fully prepared to deal with the personal matter related to his former business. Still ahead, the BC NDP are gathered in Victoria. The second and final day of the party's annual convention. Our Keith Baldry has the details. Plus, tragedy at a Taylor Swift concert. What led to a fan's death at the Superstar show in Brazil? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. BC NDP convention has wrapped up in Victoria. For more, we're joined by our Victoria Bureau Chief, Keith Baldry. Keith, for the most part, the Premier has unveiled his strategy heading into next year's election. Yeah, it's quite the gathering, more than 700 delegates. First time in-person gathering at a convention in four years, so a bit of a buzz there, a bit of energy that wasn't there uh, for some time. Again, people, I think, very happy to be able to gather in person again en masse like this. Also, no surprise, when your party's leading so high in the polls, your opposition is fractured and, and not organized, uh, you're going to see some positive vibes in that convention. And Premier David Eby added his address yesterday. going to take it back to that. Uh, also outlining what I think you're going to hear and see a pretty familiar theme constantly going forward as the next election approaches, and that's the attacks on BC United leader Kevin Falcon, again based on his track record from the NDP's point of view. Here's the Premier. He raided millions of dollars from ICBC while hiking insurance rates for drivers. And he refused to crack down on real estate speculation, and why? Why did he do these things? <laughs> Lots of theories out there. <laughs> To reduce taxes for the top 2%. Yeah. To protect wealthy lawyers. Yeah. To stack the deck for developers and real estate speculators just like him. 
So again, expect this type of attack uh, between now and the next election going forward. The only thing that might change this, if BC United suddenly falters and falls behind the BC Conservatives in the polls and the BC Conservatives become the potential alternatives to the NDP, David Eby and the NDP would have to pivot and start looking at the BC Conservatives. Right now, they think Kevin Falcon is the one they have to beat to form the next government come the next election, whenever it is. Although it's scheduled for October 2024, it's not against the law for him to call the election earlier than that. Keith Baldry reporting live for us in Victoria. Keith, thank you. All right. An initiative that's now in its second year is finding ways to end youth homelessness. It was the focus of an information session today as a growing number of young people access support services in Kelowna. Victoria Famia reports. You see it all across the city, people experiencing homelessness, and that sparked a new initiative targeting youth in Kelowna. And my neighborhood is downtown and there's lots of folks I see living outside and I believe in a city and a country like Canada, we need to have everyone housed. The Upstream Project is a school-based approach aimed at assisting youth as early as possible to help end school disengagement as well as youth homelessness. We go into our participating schools and identify grade 8 students that have hidden barriers to resilience that may or may not lead to that crisis road. Um, and if they're identified, they get an option to get connected with an upstream support person. Them and their family are then provided with wraparound support services. According to the Okanagan Boys and Girls Club, there's been a recent rise in youth accessing support services. Just youth services in general in our community. If you talk to any youth serving um, agency, they're going to say that there's been an increased need waitlists lists are increasing and so that's why I think programs like Upstream are so important where we can prevent crisis from ever hitting. While identifying trends and factors of youth homelessness, one statistic took Upstream members by surprise. That 78% of the students that participate in our programs and services are from a family that's from separation or divorce and that was actually one that took us by surprise. I think we've normalized that experience and we can't ignore that stat. What makes up Upstream so successful is being able to work with youth at such a young age. We have up to 22 upstream support persons from across six agencies that are matched with these kiddos based on their needs, interests and goals. And we start with building relationship. And so we actually have kids promoting the fact that they have a person in school. The majority of youth the Upstream Project serves are Indigenous or part of the LGBTQ community, a problem the program intends on tackling. Victoria Famia, Global News. The Langley Memorial Hospital Foundation is raising money to help patients get back on track and return home. The Whatever It Takes campaign supports vulnerable, low-income and socially isolated patients. The program provides these patients with essential services they may not be able to access readily. So that could include, you know, meals on wheels, so, so regular uh, delivery of warm, uh, nutritious meals. It could include diapers for uh, a young family, uh, a car seat. It could include um, clothing and even uh, house cleaning to make sure that the home is ready for the patient to come home. Demand for the program has grown by 75% in the last five years. Donations can be made on the Langley Memorial Hospital Foundation website. Still to come, major allegations in the case of the two Michaels. The report suggesting one of the men is now blaming the other for his years-long detention in China. And a retired West Vancouver firefighter's longtime side hustle that's now front and center for all to see.
Among those calling for an end to the violence in Gaza is a Jewish mother in B.C. One of her relatives is believed to be held hostage by Hamas and a former colleague was killed. Despite all of that, she's calling for peace. Neetu Garcha has her story. Inside her B.C. home, Randy Sommerfeld holds on dearly to memories of a time she felt hope for peace. The Jewish mother of two spent years working in Israel with a nonprofit called Save a Child's Heart, helping Palestinian kids in need of care. 3,500 kids have, have come to Israel for their treatment mm -hmm. and gone back. At the organization's hospital in Israel, children from around the world who can't be treated in their home communities are provided open-heart surgeries and post-op care. Half of them are from the West Bank and Gaza. The group also trains Palestinian doctors so the patients can receive the care they need after returning home. Sommerfeld also worked with peace activist Vivian Silver, killed in Hamas's October 7th attack. When I met her, she actually gave me the advice because I was from Canada, living in Israel. She was giving me the advice. She's like, make local friends that are born and raised here. She also has a personal connection. Her husband's 17-year-old cousin named Ophir, a presumed hostage of Hamas, kidnapped from the home of his girlfriend and her family. The family saw him being put into a black car and driven across Gaza. They shot the family dog. They took the dad, so his girlfriend's dad, and him and they left the girls. Ophir is among at least 200 people including at least 30 teenagers and children reported to be taken hostage by Hamas. I know people intimately on both sides of this divide and if we don't remember to put humans first and humanity first and compassion first before our political agendas, before pointing fingers, before all of this, then, then we have nothing. Sommerfeld's message is one of peace and pause in the middle of so much polarization. Neetu Garcha, Global News. The death of a young woman who attended Taylor Swift's concert in Rio de Janeiro Friday night has sparked calls for better treatment of fans. Despite sauna-like conditions, attendees were not allowed to take bottled water into the open-air stadium. Mike Drolet reports. Fans lined up for hours before Taylor Swift's concert in Rio de Janeiro on Friday. The temperature outside was 39 degrees Celsius, humidity making it feel much warmer. One woman who attended the show said Milton Santos Olympic Stadium felt like a sauna. 23-year-old Ana Clara Benavides Machado died in hospital after being treated by paramedics at the show, according to the tour's organizer in Brazil. The office of Rio's public prosecutor says a criminal investigation is underway. Though the cause of death has not been confirmed, the heat is a prime suspect. People attending the concert weren't permitted to bring water bottles into the stadium. There were water stations inside, but some said they were difficult to access. And Swift stopped her show at one point to ask staff to bring water to a group of fans who caught her attention. With the country in the midst of a prolonged spring heat wave, politicians in Brazil say water bottles must be allowed, along with free and accessible drinking water. Temperatures hit 58 degrees last week. Swift isn't the first performer to deal with unsafe temperatures. Last August, more than a dozen people at a Snoop Dogg concert in Houston were taken to hospital for heat-related illness. 
The month before, 17 of Ed Sheeran's fans at his Pittsburgh concert wound up in hospital. And country singer Jason Aldean had to end his Connecticut show early, struggling to perform in the extreme heat. Doctors say heat shouldn't be underestimated. Early warning signs include nausea, headache and dizziness, and can escalate to heat exhaustion or heat stroke. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. Miss Nicaragua has been crowned Miss Universe 2023. 84 contestants from around the globe competed for the coveted crown, but ultimately it was 23-year-old Shanice Palacios who came out on top, beating out Miss Thailand. The 72nd Miss Universe pageant was held in El Salvador. This is the first time a Nicaraguan contestant has won the title. This year's competition is said to be the most inclusive Miss Universe pageant yet, with the first ever Miss Pakistan contestant featuring a burkini in the swimsuit portion of the competition. Miss Nepal, the first ever plus-size contestant, two mothers competing in this year's pageant, and two transgender contestants. After the break, Yvonne has your forecast and a development in AI technology that some say could help predict the weather with pinpoint accuracy. Stay with us. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day campaign recognizes the importance of diversity. So let's lift each other up on Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th. Presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. Yvonne's here now with a look at the forecast. Yvonne, have things settled down a bit since uh, last night? Yeah, we had a nice break through the day today. Thanks, Travis. Good evening, everyone. Uh, we are going to see dry conditions overnight along the south coast, but it's a different weather story along the northern half, and that coming up in just a moment. Currently sitting at 6, we may see a bit more cloud cover rolling in. That'll take us in towards tomorrow morning, but this next weather maker that is taking aim along the northern half of the province, bringing very wet and windy conditions, we're also looking at the potential for some snow. Along the south coast, as we get in through the morning, mainly cloudy by the afternoon, we'll have some sunshine, a nice break tomorrow, Tomorrow, but there is a system that is on deck and that'll be impacting us on our Tuesday. Now the following areas in purple, that's where we do have the wind warning. High to Gwaii along the north coast. Winds anywhere between 90 and up to 100. We could see gusts closer to 120 kilometers per hour. That takes us in towards the evening and we're looking at the potential for some snow along the northern half. It'll be inland where we could see up to 20 centimeters and that'll taper off by Tuesday morning. So those will be the areas of concern, but very wet and windy and that'll start to pick up as early as overnight tonight. There's the weather maker along the northern half. It'll work its way and sink its way along the south coast. We'll see a soggy day for our Tuesday with periods of rain, and then in behind it, we're back into some sunshine. We can see that on the long-range forecast, even double digits on Tuesday, and then plenty of sunshine to take us Wednesday and through the end of the week as well. The northern half of the province, wet and windy along the coast. The snowfall will continue through the day. Many areas may see a bit of a transition as temperatures get above the freezing mark. Looks to be dry across the central interior through the day tomorrow. Southern half of the province also a nice break with some sunshine in the mix. Whistler will see temperatures overnight tonight down to minus three and then bumping up to three degrees. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, Coquihalla could still see a few isolated flurries, but it should taper off and then it'll be dry through the day for tomorrow. Along the northern half of the island, Port Hardy will see a few isolated showers. Most areas across the central and southern half will be underneath a mix of sun and cloud. Lower mainland for tomorrow, six into the phrase Valley. Areas along the coast will be closer to 9 degrees, so we are going to see some cloud cover tomorrow morning. It'll clear out with some sunshine. The wet day in the forecast so far, and the blip will be on our Tuesday. We're back into some sunshine on Wednesday. Quite pleasant, double digits up to 10. Travis? Back half of the week looks pretty good. Thanks, Yvonne.
Speaking of weather, weather forecasts may soon get better with the help of artificial intelligence. The complex business of forecasting right now involves supercomputers, some the size of school buses, mostly owned by governments. Those computers do the heavy lifting to predict the weather using physics simulations that take hours to compute. But that could soon change with Google announcing its GraphCast program, which uses machine learning to predict the weather. Google says the program offers 10-day weather predictions in under a minute with unprecedented accuracy. Yvonne, I have questions. <laughs> no respect. I just, this. as I was awful, walking by, you should have seen Asa was like, what's happening? What's happening? What is this? Yeah. Well, is it, what do you think? Is it well, coming Well, a 10-day forecast with extreme accuracy, I would love to see that happen. And if that was the case, then I may be in a different ball game. Mm -hmm. If I can start predicting 10 days so accurately, then yeah. You're not buying it. I'm sure the technology is going to advance. We'll see where that takes us, but I'd still like to be here. I think I add a little value. Yeah. I don't know, a Who little needs bit. AI when you've got the talented, bright, global BC weather team? And I think one thing AI couldn't predict is the outcome of every single game. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's coming next. Yeah, you never know. Right? Uh, yes, an entertaining uh, Grey Cup once again. The championship uh, in the CFL always delivers, and it is a highly entertaining one once again. Blue Bombers, Montreal Alouettes, going back and forth. Uh, so plenty of football in the sports uh, sportscast coming up soon. We've also got an update on the Seahawks and their quarterback situation as Geno Smith went down with an injury. So we've got those highlights as well. And uh, well, football of the other variety as well. Some soccer action, Juventus in action, and Julia Grosso. Everyone wants to know how she's doing, the Vancouver Stars. So uh, we've got those highlights coming up as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Asa. And after the break, Jay Durant will introduce us to the world of Ross Penhall, a retired firefighter finding zen through painting and creating some head-turning landscapes along the way. Stay with us. From fighting fires to painting canvas, Jay Durant tells the story of one former West Vancouver fire captain's career change and his new art exhibition on This Is BC. There was a time way back when painting was a part-time job. Ross Penhall's old fire gear still hangs in his studio, a reminder of his years of service helping others. There's nothing, nothing else I really wanted other than these two things. This side gig has been much more than just a hobby. He's been selling his work for the past 40 years, backed by colleagues every step of the way. They were very supportive. They, they even um, paid for a class at Emily Carr when I took a Lithau class. Even acting as a mentor at times. And I did, over the years, have firefighters call me up going, you know, I'm, I'm painting, can you tell me? <laughs> so I had a lot of firefighters to my studio from different departments that would come and ask. Art was a great escape from the tough things he saw at the other job. I probably debriefed more than once in the studio, you know, after a night shift. I'm always in a much better mood after I've had a day in the studio or a, a period, period of creativity. Over the years, Penhall has donated many of his pieces to charity. It's a good to give back and serve. I mean, I learned that in the fire hall where you know, we, we supported muscular dystrophy and different things and you get out and, and uh, you serve. I always start in the sky and then work my way forward. Now a major achievement after all these years, his first ever solo art museum exhibit. It's been one of the best experiences of my life. The warmth of the floor and the lower ceilings, I don't think my works ever look better. One career may have come to a close, but finding inspiration on every outing means this studio will always remain open. I'd often say to myself, well, you know, the first person doesn't see this. 
I think I'm just going to keep trying to get the clouds right and keep painting and just traveling and <laughs> try to stay healthy <laughs> and uh, so I can keep painting. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Still ahead, Canadian football's biggest prize up for grabs today. Winnipeg and Montreal head-to-head at this year's Grey Cup. Asa's got the details. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Celebrate National Kinesiology Week. Physical activity can help you feel better, move better, and live better. Learn how a kinesiologist can improve your health through movement at bcak.bc.ca. Get into the holiday spirit with the Salvation Army's Christmas Kettle Campaign. The campaign is one of Canada's largest and most recognizable annual charitable events. There are more than 2,000 kettle locations across Canada that support a wide range of Salvation Army programs. In partnership with BC Cancer Foundation, with you, life beyond cancer is within reach. Give at bccancerfoundation.com. Okay, perfect timing to have you here. Uh, the yeah. Grey Cup just wrapping up. That's right, and let's get into it before I'm replaced by an AI sports anchor. All right, the Grey Cup uh, underway in Hamilton just wrapped up for a fourth straight time. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in the championship game. They'll face the Red Hot Alouettes team that uh, extended their win streak to seven games by upsetting the Argos last week. Remarkably, in the 110th edition of the Grey Cup, it marks the first time Winnipeg is playing against Montreal in the final, let's get to the game. 110th breakup in Hamilton. Electric crowd and some entertaining action early on. Bombers up 3-0 before Brady Oliveira gets into the end zone for Winnipeg. CFL's leading rusher for Winnipeg up 10-0. Alouettes respond, though, with a rushing TD of their own. William Stanbeck pushing his way over the line. They get their first touchdown of the game. Back to Oliveira. Some nice moves here through the middle. Almost gets into the end zone. Bombers will score a few plays later. They led 17-7 at halftime. And that is when it was Green Day's time to shine. Now the Owls went crazy in the second half. Starting with this crazy catch. Austin Mack. Hauling it in with just one hand. It's all he needed. Maybe some pass interference didn't matter. Mack brings it in. And on the very next play, it's Cody Fajardo throwing a dart. The goal speaker. And that's the second touchdown for the Owls. They're hanging in this game. Skip to the fourth quarter now. Quick bubble screen out to Mack. This time he scoots into the end zone. And Montreal takes their first lead of this game. But the Bombers not going down without a fight. They respond on the very next drive. It's Prukup diving into the end zone. Just needed a few yards. He goes all the way in for the major. And the Bombers were back in front. But Travis with 17 seconds to go. Fajardo to Philpott in the end zone. Touchdown Alouettes. Bombers done, losing for a second straight year in the Grey Cup. Montreal takes it 28-24. Remarkable game in Hamilton. All right, to the NFL now. Seahawks facing division rivals. 
LA Rams Geno Smith hitting DK Metcalf on the slant. Touchdown Hawks. Just Metcalf's second TD of the season. He had a good game. Five catches for 94 yards. Seattle was in complete control of this game until Geno got hit by Aaron Donald late in the third quarter. He'd leave the game and the offense would struggle under Drew Locke. Rams battle back. They go up by one. Geno comes back into the game to set up this field goal opportunity for Jason Myers. Doesn't connect. Misses. Wide right. Rams win 17-16. Let's go look at the other divisional team in action. Niners hosting Tampa. Christian McCaffrey's TD streak was snapped last week. He gets right back on track today. Starts another streak. Nice play design for the speedy running back. 7-0 Niners, 13th rushing and receiving TD for Run CMC. San Francisco was up 13-7, and that's when Brock Purdy goes deep to Brandon Ayuk. He had a big day. If you had him on your fantasy team, hopefully you had him in your starting lineup. Five catches, 156 in a TD. Niners in first in the division with a 27-14 win over Tampa. All right, to the pitch now. Vancouver's Julia Grosso in action with Juventus against Inter Milan. Already one nothing Juve when Grosso makes it two. Stunning strike with that left boot from the edge of the area. And that puts Juve up 2-0 in the opening five minutes. And then Grosso involved in this pretty passing play in the second half. It's finished off beautifully by Lindsay Toma. Juve going on to oh, win this goal. one comfortably 5-0 over Inter Milan. It's second in the table, three points Her behind Roma. Final round of the RSM Classic. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes was second heading into today and put up a solid fight. He was strong, he was very good all weekend long. Started with a 60 on Friday, and then he, or yesterday rather, he shot a 63 today. Couldn't catch Ludwig Ober, who shot a second straight, 9-under-61. The 24-year-old Swede captures his first PGA title. He's got a European title as well. Congrats to him. Bright future ahead for him. All right, Abbotsford Canucks yesterday hitting the midway points of their four-game road trip. Game two against Henderson Silver Knights. Max Sasson on the four-check digs it out to Atu Ratu, my favorite. Names to say. So he scores. Pass in front, they score. And keep your eye on uh, Sasson this Papri. time. Nielsen Actually, before it was went into a shootout, rather. Tristan Nielsen shootout winner. Their Abbots for one five straight. And uh, other WHL action from yesterday Lethbridge beating the Giants. Prince George 5 4 winners over Kelowna. Introducing Yeah, we touched on this a little bit uh, last night, Travis. This was going on, and Vegas pulling out all the stops as Formula One returned to Sin City for the first time since the 80s. Charlotte Claire, pole position lasting all of a few seconds, gets squeezed by a hard charging Max Verstappen. Red Bull driver runs a Ferrari car off the track. Verstappen handed a five second penalty that he served during a pit stop. Very good race. Verstappen out front. Leclerc runs down Sergio Perez on the final lap. Great piece of driving by Leclerc, who nabs second place away from Red Bull. 
On that last lap, Max Verstappen completing the American sweep wins all three F1 races on American soil. 18th win of the year. Drivers really impressed the circuit, so they called it uh, uh, the best racing of the season. So a uh, very good track, despite everything that was going on, going into it. Uh, will it come back? Do we know yet if it's coming I, back to Vegas? Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll come back, but uh, I know they put on a good show. I know there's a lot going into, um, yeah, the restaurants, uh, hotels, the price of everything, uh, but, but a good show in the end. Just like that Grey Cup as well in Hamilton. Great game. Yeah, it was entertaining. Yeah. It was you, fun. You catch much of the uh, halftime show? Green Day? Yeah, Green yeah. Day was awesome. Yeah, it was good. That'd be right in your wheelhouse. Green yeah, Day. it was. Oh, yeah. What are you trying to say? But yeah, no, it I'm was. I'm not trying to age you, but <laughs> Thank uh, you. you know, Green Day, they're, they're young. They're young. They're young. Yeah. They're hip. Oh, yeah. my goodness. All right. Well, thanks, Asa. There's a lot there. Thanks for that. Uh, we'll take a quick break now. We'll have more news for you on the other side. Stay with us. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. A New Zealand man inspired by Terry Fox is running across Canada to raise money for childhood cancer. Global's Catherine Dornian caught up with him in Winnipeg to talk about his journey. John Nabs has been on the road for 200 days and has run nearly 5,000 kilometres. He began in May in St. John's, following in the footsteps of a Canadian icon. It's uh, very much a journey inspired by Terry Fox. His story, his legacy, it reached all the way down to New Zealand, you know, where I come from on the bottom of the world, uh, even back in the 1980s when he ran. Like Terry Fox, Nabs is raising money for cancer, with $24,000 raised for Childhood Cancer Canada out of his $60,000 goal. And he also has a personal connection. I can remember that awful feeling that I had when both of my parents got diagnosed with cancer. It's, it's just like you've been punched in the stomach and there's just this loss of hope. Nabs lost both of his parents to the disease in the past three years, and he's on this journey in their memory as well. On his way, Nabs has been helped by many Canadians who have offered him food and shelter, but the rest of the time, he's been living off what's in this stroller he pushes with him. This is all my clothing. Um, this is all my food. The weather has been on his side so far, but he is prepared for the winter ahead. I'm comfortable to go down to about negative 25, negative 30 and stay camping. I'm prepared for four seasons camping, but anything below that, you know, I'm not going to try and be a hero. Safety first, I'll you know, hunker down and wait out the really cold temperatures. The long days are made easier by the people he's met, especially the children he's been visiting in cancer wards along the way. He wears the Superman costume to brighten their day. It just makes all of the pain and the miles that I'm doing out here on the road irrelevant. The pain's irrelevant. It just, it just buoys me so much. Nabs is hoping to finish his run in January in Victoria after eight months and 8,000 kilometers. Catherine Dornian, Global News. Good for him and that's a great way for someone not from Canada to see the uh, entire country. Yeah, step by step. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and he doesn't have an escort, which is quite amazing. Just yeah. all that stuff right there with him. And a lot of friendly people and welcoming people along the way, which yep. is nice mm -hmm. to see. Quick look at the weather. Uh, we've got a nice dry day for tomorrow. A bit of cloud cover when we're heading out for work and school. Some bright spots as we get in through the afternoon. Now the blip in the forecast, if you've got plans for Tuesday, that's we'll see some of the heaviest rain. Should taper off to showers by Tuesday night and then Wednesday onwards. It's looking fantastic. Plenty of sunshine, just a touch cooler for some of our overnight lows. But we're looking forward to Wednesday with temperatures up to 10. 
Sunshine continues. It's great, love it. It's good. looking really good. You call them those sunballs, eh? Sunballs, a yeah, couple of sunballs in the forecast. There's been a lot of them. Okay, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. Good night.